This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Sometimes marketers can be too nice or too respectful or honestly just not bold enough to either go wild or just say no. After all, the primary goal of any marketing team is to serve the client's best interests. But what if what the client is asking you to do is wrong or just too vanilla? Sometimes the answer is to have the courage to think outside the box. I love crazy ideas. The crazier the idea, the better. That's where true marketing genius comes from is the crazy things where you go, well, what if we could, and then let's figure out how we do it. We live in a world today where there's very little you can do besides posting something inappropriate on social media that can't be taken back and that you can't stop from a digital perspective. So you have a lot of flexibility to test out ideas, to come up with a concept, run with it, and see if it works. Stephanie Cox has made a career in thinking outside of the traditional marketing constraints. What others might perceive as an obstacle, she tackles head on. She is a modern day marketer with a no holds barred, just get it done mentality. And she joined Marketing Trends to discuss her role as VP of Sales and Marketing at Lumavate a company that is helping marketers create apps using low code. On this episode, Stephanie details how Lumivate pivoted from a sales-led approach to one focused on product, and she gives out some tips and tricks for leveling up the customer journey and how she flat out gets things done. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Stephanie, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to talk about Lumivate and all the exciting things that you've uh, you've done in your career. So uh, let's talk marketing. How'd you get started in marketing in the first place? Well, funny story. I actually went to college thinking I wanted to be a newspaper reporter, which in the late 90s was like an actual job a lot of people had. (laughs) But I did a semester on the college newspaper and I realized I hate this. (laughs) This is horrible. I did not want to stay up till 2 a.m. in the newsroom working on stories to get the paper out. But at the time, I had the pleasure of going to Franklin College, which has a really great journalism program which also has like advertising, PR, and what eventually became digital marketing in that department. So I switched over to ad PR and that's really where I got fell in love with the idea of marketing and you know, got a degree in that. Also did English political science because I'm a glutton for punishment and an overachiever. <laughs> and then started out my first job at a customer experience company doing brand marketing for them. And looking back, I am flabbergasted at like how much cool stuff I got to do at like 23 there because they let me redo their entire brand, like their entire brand design, their messaging and everything. And now I'm just like, that was kind of crazy. They put that much faith in me, but here we are. And you have an interesting stop at, uh, at Salesforce, who's our amazing sponsor of the mm-hmm. show as well. Can you share, uh, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So I um, came through Salesforce through the exact target acquisition. And I had a really unique role. It was kind of like, if you want to talk about like a marketer's dream job, it's using your own product to market to other people. 
I like to call it drinking your own champagne. And that's what I got to do. So I got to use um, and run the team that used the marketing cloud to market to other marketing cloud prospects and customers. So cool stuff that you might see at South by Southwest, where we, you know, connected Radian 6 at the time, the social monitoring platform to email and your Fitbit and sent you daily email updates with where you were on the leaderboard at South by and what was being talked about about your brand. Like that's the cool stuff that my team would do. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's always it's always funny to see um, how many marketing leaders now worked in Martech at some point in their career, right? It's like it's like you you get to see so many different uh, marketers, so many different types of marketing campaigns. Do you think that that was helpful, kind of early on? It really was, and I think part of the reason is like you just mentioned, exposure to all those things, but also. You know, when I was at Exact Target and Salesforce, I got to meet marketers from so many different brands. So not only was I exposed to what we were doing, but I was exposed to what they were doing as well. And it really is one of the best training grounds in the entire world. You know, when people ask me, where do you feel like you grew the most in your career? Every single time I will tell them it's from that experience because I got to do things that I never got would have imagined doing. I got to have, we used to call them plus one projects where you would have a project that it's outside of your current role of responsibilities. And you know, one of mine was helping do the go-to-market launch for Journey Builder, which is a huge product of the Salesforce Marketing Cloud that's still used by hundreds, if not thousands of marketers today. So flash forward to today, you are the head of marketing and sales at Lumivate. Tell us about that role. Yeah, so I came in to lead the marketing team and that was about four years ago. And then... About two years into being my time at Lumivate, they asked me to take over sales. And that happened pretty quickly. And what I mean by that is our previous VP of sales was leaving. And I found out on a Monday, along with the rest of the leadership team. And then on Tuesday, our CEO goes, hey, do you got a minute? And I was like, yeah, sure. And that's really commonplace for him. That's kind of his communication style. So we go into a conference room and he's like, what do you think about taking over sales? And I was like, like in general, is this like a question? Is this something we're talking about? He was like, yeah, like, what would you think about it? And I said, well, you know, I gave him some thoughts initially. And he's like, well, I'd like you to think more about it. And we'll talk more in a couple of days. And then literally like 12 hours later, he goes, okay, so I've thought about it. I'd like for you to do this. <laughs> and I was like, great, because I have a five page plan. Um, and anyone who knows me that knows that like once I get an idea in my head, I quickly have to like get out all of it out on paper on you know, what I would wanna do, how I would think about it strategically, et cetera. So I started taking over sales. And then about six months later, I took over the customer success and support team. And then about six months after that, I took over product management. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, uh, had you, so had you been in sales before? No, I've never carried a bag. I've never been a traditional like account executive. But even going back to my first job out of college almost 20 years ago, I've always been closely aligned with sales. And I've always been, you know, the marketer who's asking, like, what can I do to help you? What can I do to move your pipeline along? And then also, I have a lot of experience. And a lot of times when you're selling to marketers, one of the things that's really cool is bringing in a marketer to help you close a deal. And I've had that privilege at almost every company I've worked at, I've been part of, like the sales team that would go in and close big customers. And so while I've not had an individual quota, I've always had a role in the sales process. And at Luminate, you know, a lot of the deals that we were doing before I took over sales, because of my mobile expertise and my marketing experience, I was, you know, riding shotgun with all of our AEs on getting those deals closed. So Lumivate 
really interesting company, um, low-code mobile app platform for marketers. Can you share more about the company and what you all do for your customers? Yeah. So really the fundamental problem in the industry that we see is that marketers are often held back in certain channels because they can't, for instance, mobile apps being one of them, they can't build their own app without necessarily involving IT or development shop. They have to build it for iOS and Android, you know, and then they probably want a web experience. And so by the time you start laying all that out and you think about the time and the resources, you know, the financial investment needed, oftentimes it becomes astronomical and something that's not feasible to do. And as a marketer, you know that you need things done yesterday. I can't tell you how many times I've said that. When did you need it? Well, yesterday. So we need to move fast and we need a technology that enables us to do that. And that's really the problem we're trying to solve is we believe marketers should be able to build mobile apps. And we think of them a little bit differently than native mobile apps. And I'll tell you more about that in a second. On their own, and they should be able to whiteboard out an idea in the morning and build it that afternoon and get it launched. And it should be available across any channel, any form factor, any device. And you should be able to update it instantaneously. So what we enable you to do is to go in to our studio and assemble an app using our library of different components and features and get that published and out in the wild as quickly as you want. And we happen to deliver all of our apps as progressive web apps, which is a technology that's been out for a little over five years now, started by Google. And it really is the best of native mobile and the web together. So it gives you that app-like experience. It looks and feels like an app, but it's delivered on the web. So you bypass the app store. So instead of going to the app store and trying to find an app, waiting for it to download, you can scan a QR code, text in, or click on a link and have that entire app on your phone in about two seconds. Yeah. So so go into a little bit more about you know who your customers are and how these apps work. Yeah. So we market to marketers. And that is honestly one of the best jobs in the entire world is marketing and selling to marketers because they really push you to think differently. And our platform enables marketers to build a wide variety of apps. So as an example, we power internal communications using an app built on our platform for brands such as Wheaton Van Lines or Roche. We also have Trincara Wines, which is the fourth largest wine company in the world. Joel Gott is one of their brands and they use us for an interactive wine experience where it actually uses image recognition to scan the bottle label and then bring, bring to life an experience related to that varietal. And so there's a wide variety of what you can do and build on our platform. And so what are some examples that your customers are building? What are some apps that, that those folks have, uh, have brought to market? Yeah. So I just talked about the one for internal comms and for um, Joel Gott with kind of an interactive wine experience. We also have customers that have built you know, a digital price book. So a lot of companies and this talking about digital transformation, how much 2020 has enabled, you know, this really leap forward and digital transformation for a lot of businesses, you know, before companies would print a price book. And as soon as you print the price book, it's immediately out of date. So we have brands like Delta Faucet that has a digital price book on our platform that connects directly to their data streams. And so when they update pricing for a specific product, it's an instantaneously available. That's one example. We also have um, other customers that do more, I would say, content sharing apps. So where they might provide financial services and they want to share resources on how to think about student loans, how to think about applying for a mortgage, um, being able to chat directly with a support rep uh, or a financial consultant um, or some other examples. 
Yeah, it's so funny to see all of the different kind of like low code app needs that marketers have that are just something that, you know, they they could just kind of create and build something for themselves so quickly rather than trying to have to figure out, you know, where to where to go buy that or get it off the shelf or swipe a credit card or something like that. Do you kind of feel like it it gives those marketing teams some like empowerment to be able to do those things and just create it in-house? It really does. But I think part of the challenge is, is so many marketers don't believe it's possible yet, right? We've spent, you know, I've been in mobile since 2010. You know, back in the day, we're used to create Windows apps and BlackBerry apps. Um, if I'm dating myself a little bit with that. But, you know, a lot of people believe that you can't create a mobile app without hiring the Swift developers for iOS, without hiring a separate Android, Android team. And that it's, you know, a six-figure investment. Whereas you know, we're a platform that's been around now for over five years that enables marketers to do that without any code. And I think what's crazy about it is it sounds crazy, right? When I talk to other marketers, especially people that have done mobile before, and I say like, imagine if you could literally, you know, sketch out an idea for an app and then build it in three hours. Like they want to laugh because they've never been able to do that. They've never been able to see anything like that that's possible. And that's what we bring to market is we really are enabling you to dream it, build it and publish it as quickly as you can move. And the great part is you can add to it as you go along, right? So in the past, a lot of times what marketers would do is they'd create these loaded native mobile apps because it was expensive to develop separate apps, you know, going through the app store approval process for both, you know, Google Play and the iOS app store was just a pain. So what they would do is they would just keep sticking more and more in a single app and do smaller releases or even worse, not do any updates to their app at all, which is very, very common. And, you know, what we're saying and the way our platform works is you don't have to have everything in it at first, go ahead and get it out there, launch it, and then you can continue to add to it, tweak it. You know, it connects directly with Google analytics. You can learn from it and make changes as quickly as you need to move for your business. Yeah, totally. I, um, I think there's also something, you know, about that ability and and teams to be able to create something like that to just know that you have that capacity in your back pocket that's really nice. And I think, you know, marketers we some of us might not be, but I think a lot of us are control freaks and like yes. we want to just be able to make the thing that we want, right? No, we definitely are. I always tell my team when we think about, you know, who's the type of marketer that is going to love our platform. I always say it's a real marketer, a marketer who asks forgiveness, not permission, who needs to move really fast, who needs to get get work done, right? And yes, they can go through this formal process of doing it the way it's always been done, but they realize the business needs have to move at a speed that's faster than that. And I think to your point, we're all to some extent control freaks and we want to be able to control our own destiny and our own success. And the only way to do that sometimes is to have control over the technology that enables you. So are you, uh, are you drinking the champagne? Are you, are you making some apps on the side? Oh, always. Well, that's what's really cool about this job, right? Is a couple of things. One, we get to use our own technology to market to, you know, our customers and our prospects, right? So, you know, when we did a ton of direct mail campaigns, we would always include QR codes and text ends for you to get an app. So if you were a manufacturer, you know, we might send you a fun, you know, money tree plan to talk about growing your business. And tied to that, when you scan the QR code was an app that shows you how product registration would work and how you could tie that into an onboarding experience. 
right? So we always try and figure out ways to show you not just like who we are, but and what we do, but how it could work for your brand and then how easy it is once you get on our platform to do that yourself. And then I think the other part that's neat about it too is, you know, when I have a cool idea personally, I can just hop on our platform and play around with it. Or my kids, they're, I have twin 14 year olds and they're super interested in web technology and coding right now. And, you know, if they want to get in and build an app, they can actually go on our website and build an app, right? We do enable everyone to build an app for free for life, which is, you know, a relatively new thing for us, but that gives them the opportunity to experience it as well. And it makes them think that I'm a cooler mom, which is, which is an added bonus. I mean, anytime you can be cooler in the eyes of your, your peers or children is definitely a win. Especially 14 year olds. They don't think most parents are cool. <laughs> that's true. Um, that's true. So obviously this is scary for a lot of people, for a lot of marketers is like making something like that. I think I would imagine that a barrier to entry is like, I've never built anything or I've never done this or, you know, whatever. I never learned to code or whatever. How much do you deal with that objection? I think we deal with it as this can't be real, right? The first objection, like you're saying all the problems that I faced before you can solve. So one, I think we deal with that objection to get started. The next objection that we really deal with is like, they don't know. So now they believe that our platform can do it, but they don't know how to do it. And what I mean by that is they know what the app should do. They don't know how to assemble it together and not from a using our platform, but how to, in their mind, like wireframe it out or design it, especially if they've never been part of that process and they've only been on the receiving end of the finished product. So what we've done is a couple of things. One, we have really detailed help content that helps them, a structured onboarding process when everyone comes on board. We do live training. You know, on-demand training is great and that is something, you know, that is available. But I also find there's a lot of value and almost like office hours, being able to talk to a live person and ask them questions. And then in addition to, you know, that we're also doing things like most companies do, right? We have support, we have chat and product, and we're also getting ready to launch um, what we're calling the app gallery, which is really a collection of, you know, not all, but a wide variety of apps that you can build on our platform. And you'll be able to see exactly how to build them. You'll also be able to see a design gallery that's different page layout styles. So if you know, like, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. I just don't know how I want it visually to look. You can actually swipe through it, see some examples, and then it tells you, you know, what pieces were used to build that. So you could easily do that yourself. Yeah. When someone's like creating this, so I think I more or less understand, but so let's say, you know, they're on the platform, they're trying to make, you know, like a, an app that allows, you know, maybe you're a, you're a retail company or something like that. And you want people to be able to do virtual try-ons of your sunglasses or, or whatever. And they want to create an app for that. And they want to try to do this in-house. So kind of walk me through the, the process of, of how that would work. Yeah. So really the way our platform works is we have pages, which I think everyone can understand, right? Your pages of an app. And then we have two other things that are part of our library, which are called components and components are going to be visual elements. So that could be things such as, you know, 3D images, but it could be something simple as a button, different types of navigation styles, but it's really how the page is going to be visually laid out. And then the other piece that we have are called features and features are going to be more of your integrations. Or they might be, you know, like I use the example with Joel Gott, there is image recognition features and components that, you know, where you upload images of the bottle 
and then it actually figures out little points on it. So when you scan it with your app, it knows which one it is. And so, you know, another feature, obviously, Salesforce to, you know, connect to Salesforce data as well. So when you're building an app, what you're really doing is you're looking at our library and you're going, okay, what do I want to do? And how do I, what features do I need? And what components do I need in order to build this app? And so we're always coming out with new components and features for our library. You know, we're going to be launching just this month alone over 20 more um, to add to it. So there's constantly new stuff coming out about every two weeks that grows that library bigger and bigger and bigger. So even if there's something that's not maybe available today, the cool thing about that is, is you can doctor our team, find out where it's at on our product roadmap and know that it's going to be coming likely soon. And um, you'll get that included as part of the platform. It's not going to be an additional cost to you. Yeah. So, and and I want to talk about your go-to-market. Obviously, you have a you have a freemium kind of version where you can get started for free. So, you know, for our listeners, you could just go to lumivate.com and create an account and and get started, and and you get one published app. So, you know, very uh, low barrier to entry there. You can just get started and see how it works. You know, which is pretty cool. Why did you decide to kind of like go that route and how does that kind of play into your larger marketing strategy? Well, what's interesting is we actually started sales-led. For the most part, most of our customers are mid-market and enterprise and a sales-led strategy when we were founded back in 2015 made a ton of sense. What we really started talking about about two years ago was this idea of going to product-led and not a complete move over to product-led where we kind of sunset a sales-led strategy, but almost more as really starting to think about it being, you know, the primary channel that drives most of our accounts in the door the first time. And then sales really works more to grow the accounts versus necessarily find the new logos. And that took us about, I would say 18 months of discussion to really kind of come to alignment on. And we started working on that shift. And it's a big shift. If you've never, if you've never gone from sales led to product led, let me tell you, it is much easier to start product led than it is to switch because your product's probably not built for a sales led strategy. Ours wasn't, I mean, a product led strategy. Ours definitely wasn't. We weren't built for auto provisioning. We weren't built for people to guide themselves through the onboarding process because in the past, sales would do it or our customer success team. So we actually spent part of 2020 rewriting our entire product and getting that ready for product led. And that has a ton of just changes to how we think about stuff. In the past, we had SDRs that would focus on, you know, outbound and inbound, but, you know, a lot of outbound efforts driving meetings for our AEs. And they would use a combination of email, calls, video, direct mail. And now we don't have any SDRs. Instead, what we're doing is using PLG almost as our new SDR funnel in a lot of ways. You know, PLG is how we get people into the platform for the first time. They're showing a high level of interest. And, you know, those people are segmented based on their propensity to upgrade to a paid plan. We do have, as you mentioned, our free offering where you can build an app for free for life. It does have some limited functionality. So it's just components and not features. And it's hosted on our domain. You know, but we do have, you know, paid plans that start as low as $1,000 a year for you to get on your own domain if you want to. So there's lots of flexibility, I think, to it. But it is a big transition for us. Yeah, that's incredible. 
That's a really interesting look because I think that you see a lot of people like, you know, we, you look at like Slack, for example, or some of the enterprise organizations that, that were very, you know, product led, freemium led, uh, and then developed an enterprise go to market that have their own struggles in that way. But, but going from sales led to product led is, is a totally different animal. Um, that's super fascinating. So where does sales enter into that conversation now? Yeah, so there's really two ways for us. Um, the first way is, you know, kind of the tra- traditional way, which is they still have deals in their pipeline. They were working before we made this transition. And there's still accounts that they're going to go after from a tra- more traditional sales-led process. It's just a smaller number than it was before. And then, you know, what they're relying on PLG for is, and this is where the marketing team, it's great that I get to oversee both because we're so closely aligned because of it. But the marketing team is, you know, quickly segmenting all of our PLG accounts based on what we believe is propensity to upgrade to different, our different subscription offerings. And, you know, we start with customer success first, reaching out to people that have a higher likelihood to upgrade. And part of that reason is we want you to be successful. We don't want you to come across as we're trying to sell to you right away. We want you to be so excited about our platform, our technology, our people, and what's possible. And so that's why customer success is kind of the first outreach, in addition to all the stuff that's automated or in product. And then the sales team comes in when customer success has said like, okay, hey, here are some people that are well-positioned to upgrade, or they've asked these questions through support or in responses to calls that we've made. And now they're ready. You know, we've talked to them about the next thing is a standard plan or the next thing is our professional plan. And while, you know, customers can do that in product themselves and upgrade without talking to sales, some people still want to have that conversation or they have, a, you know, they came in with one use case and they realized how much bigger our platform could let them be and let them do. So they want to have a bigger, more strategic conversation about how they could use us. Yeah. I would imagine that that those type of like larger enterprise conversations where you're saying, okay, actually maybe we need, you know, 10, 15, 20 apps or something like that for, you know, a, a huge company that those levels of complexity, obviously you need someone who's more of a solutions oriented account manager or somebody like that. But like you said, some people just don't want any of that. Some people just want the seamless digital experience. How do you, how did you kind of like catalog that customer journey? How did you kind of uh, figure out, you know, what are the new steps of building a customer journey that's 100% digital and where those kind of sales touch points can enter in? Yeah. So I think the first thing, and this is what I tell all marketers to do, and some people are always shocked when I say it, but steal it. And what I mean by that is look at other brands, not necessarily the same ones that are doing what you do, but other brands, like what does Slack do if they're in product led? If they are years ahead of you in the process, they've clearly figured it out. Like that's a good starting point to consider what your customer journey could look like. Obviously you need to make changes to it. So it fits for your brand, but don't assume that you have to completely reinvent the wheel. You can take a lot of concepts that other brands are doing and innovate on them to make them relevant for your pers- like the personas you're going after and your company. And so that's really where we started is we took a, a lot of research around what other product-led growth companies were doing what we liked about them, what we didn't like about them, what their customer experience looked like. And we use that as a starting point for developing our own. And then, you know, moving forward after that launched, we've been focused on the data. So we collect an obscene amount of data and different people on the team are responsible for different portions of it. And we have goals tied to different, what we believe are magic numbers that indicate success, you know, our path towards success with us. 
And we're constantly using that data to improve on stuff because, you know, we thought this onboarding series with, you know, this cadence made a lot of sense. And we've learned that actually we see this dip off, this dip here. So we need to move these other pieces up higher in the process if we want people to see them, right? And then we also still pay attention to what others are doing. You know, even earlier this week, I had someone on the team forward me a couple of onboarding emails that they got as part of PLG offerings for completely unrelated products and totally different industry, right? That they were checking out more as a for their personal use. But we can learn a lot from what other people are doing. So I think that's really where we got started and how we think about continually iterating on it. But the data really is what drives us now for the most part is, you know, start with an idea and then assume your idea, and this is hard for a lot of marketers to hear, is likely wrong (laughs) and use data to figure out what's wrong about it. Totally. If you just assume that it's not perfect, right? you, You look at data differently. It becomes a problem to solve versus, you know, a failure. And that's how I like to think about things like this. There's no way to predict consumer behavior. There is good assumptions. And then there's data to figure out what you need to tweak about those assumptions to make it better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that that's, that's one of the, one of the, you know, huge lessons. And I'm curious how, you know, in terms of you challenging your assumptions, what were some of those things that you thought a product led uh, strategy would would work? Um, what were some of the things that you saw that you stole from from others um, to develop yours, those best practices? Yeah. So I think um, first one that we are continuing to steal from is just, we've always been very authentic in all of our messaging as a brand and that continues. But I've seen so many people, you know, transition away from these, I would say polished, like studio-esque videos and like their onboarding series and transition more to like a video that was clearly taken with someone's iPhone, like outside their backyard or, you know, that feels very real. And, you know, at first I thought when I started seeing that last year, that that was like a trend because of the pandemic and people were stuck at home, but I've continued to see it. And I think what I love about it is it feels real. It feels like a real person talking to you versus a faceless entity, um, which I think a lot of like overproduced content can feel like. So that's one idea that I think we're continuing to think about and steal from. And then the thing like that surprised us that no one seems to talk a ton about with PLG, you'll hear stats around like, you know, only a certain percentage of free account customers convert to paid, but you rarely hear people talk about like how many people create accounts and then never sign into your product. Yeah. Right. Cause like that happens. It makes no sense. Um, and it's super frustrating when you see that because I'm like, you filled out the form, you got the email, you opened the email, but you never like verified your email and like signed in. Why not? Yeah. It's like, there's, there's something annoying in that. Not, not, I'm not saying that way for Lumivate, but uh, there's something annoying in that process where you just throw up your hands and you quit. I, but I, what's funny is I feel like I do that all the time. I like the, I'll, I'll, I'll get to a certain point with something. And it's like, there's one thing that it, that it asks you for, or it does or whatever it is. And you're just like, that's it. I'm done. Like, or maybe it was like kind of a pain in the process. And again, I'm not saying this is you all, but I'm, it's like, maybe the process was like slightly more painful than you realize the whole process. And then there's that one, you know, piece where it's like, you know, actually, actually getting to do it. The other thing is, I think that there's some interesting 
like psychology exploration of like people trying to, it's like buying the gym membership and never going, Yes. right? It's like you took a step towards the thing that you want, but then it's like actually doing the work. You're like, I don't know. It's 25th on my to-do list and I just never get around to it, you know? Well, and what's interesting is we see it happen a lot when people create accounts at night and this is a completely crazy hypothesis, but it's the only thing I can think of is I've done this before, just like you said. It's 10.30 at night. I have a problem. I'm looking for technology to solve it. And I'm sitting on my couch, probably watching, you know, West Wing episodes or something while working. And I go fill out a free account and then I get distracted. I do something else and I totally forgot about it. And, you know, the next morning it's buried in my email and I never even log in. So marketers have a lot going on. And I think sometimes we also compete for even when they're super interested, keeping their attention, like literally you know, five seconds later to get them to log in can be, can be a challenge, but not a lot of people talk about that. No, totally. I mean, that's where, you know, you talk about conversational marketing and things like that. And yeah, I've shared on the show before, and we've had the, the folks from qualified.com on, but you, you, uh, and I'm an advisor to qualified. So I'm like super in deep on the conversational stuff, but it's, it, you look at the data and it's like the difference between someone leaving your site you know, that five minute difference is like a 10 X difference in that and then becoming a customer. So you're talking about like those five minutes are, are the most important time that someone is spending with you. So figuring out a way that in that amount of time, you can get them a little bit more engaged. The problem is, are you going to put a real person that can answer real questions in real time on a website at, at 11 a.m. or 11 p.m. Uh, it's it's a little bit more of a tricky scenario. It is. And, you know, part of it too, I think is just, you know, how much are they really interested? I think there's also just a whole group of people out there that are just curious about technology, right? They have no intention of using your product, but they just want to see kind of what your process is. I mean, I know we talked earlier about like how we steal ideas from other companies around their onboarding process that are outside of our area. And we do the exact same thing, right? Like, I don't know if I logged into every single one of those products when I signed up for them, because I was morally, you know, I might've been mainly curious about what their email series is, or what do they give me if I don't? So I think that's something that like, you just have to be really aware of and you have to, and it's a big change for product led. We're moving from sales led is there are completely different behaviors than you're used to. And you can't explain all of them. And people that create free accounts don't always want to give you feedback. And so it's different than customers that are paying who will always more than likely give you feedback um, about any issues they're seeing. So it's a different mindset you have to put yourself into. Yeah. And this, you know, the salesperson can determine something like, oh, hey, you know, they were, they were just checking this out and they're going to, they're actually going to do this next year but they just wanted to like start the process now or something like that. Or, oh, hey, they just had a baby or, you know, whatever it is. They can, maybe, and maybe some of those things are lies, you know, potentially. But, but, you know, we always talk about the best salespeople are the ones who are, you know, helping you make a decision that's in your best interest. And if it's not in your best interest, then they're like, hey, you know, don't, don't buy our stuff. Um, but, you know, sometimes people need the nudge to say like, no, you're on the right track. Like it's, you know, this is uh this is okay. And it's a lot harder to do that with a digital touch or with an autoresponder or something like that. Cause it just doesn't feel like there's a human being you there that's like telling you like you're, you're doing okay. Don't worry about it. Nope. I agree. I think that's part of the reason why it's so important to think about authentic ways that you can 
embed that into automated experiences. You know, like I said, whether that's like a video that you film with your iPhone, you know, in your backyard or, you know, whatever, but how can you embed that realness in something that is very digital when you can't put a real person and make them always available? So you have said that you asked for forgiveness, not permission. Yes. And uh, as a marketer, uh, that can be um, a double-edged sword, uh, as we all know. So I'm curious, um, how do you structure uh, that type of relationship with the people that you've worked with? Yeah. So I'll talk about it maybe like for myself and really, you know, my boss, and then I'll talk about it for me as a leader separately. You know, I always tell people, and I'm at this point in my career, not everyone is there and I get that, where I know what I want to do, but I also know how I want to work. I need to know what the overall goal is, and then I need you to get out of my way. I've been doing this a long time. I have a lot of ideas. I like to move fast, and I'm going to do a bunch of stuff. And more often than not, I'm going to be successful at it. And if I'm not, I'm going to figure it out quickly, and we're going to figure out how to become successful at it. So I always find in my career, and I've been really having this mantra for about the last 10 years, is if you do great work, no one tells you to knock it off. The only time that people get mad at you when you do something you maybe outside your area or that wasn't approved is when it fails. And if you ensure it won't fail by looking at data and iterating and driving, driving to success, no one ever tells you to stop it. And that's what I think people don't realize. It's also why I've been able to take over different areas outside of marketing in my career is I find problems that the business is having, you know, and I used to politely bring them up and suggest solutions. And, you know, in the past, when I was younger in my career, didn't necessarily see a lot of people take advantage of that. So one day I just got really mad about 10 years ago and I was like, screw it. I'm just going to start when I see a problem, I'm going to implement a solution to it until someone tells me to knock it off. And guess what? It's been 10 years and no one's done that. So I think that's how I think about it. Um, I always tell people, you know, when I interview for roles, this is how I operate. I move fast. I'm not going to ask you for permission to do anything. I'm also probably not going to apologize for it either. So if that's the case, you know, if you're, if you like that, then we're going to be a great team. If that makes you uncomfortable, I am not the right leader for you. And that's totally fine because I will be miserable operating under different circumstances. And then I think myself as a leader, you know, I always tell my team, first of all, I love crazy ideas. The crazier the idea, the better, because that's where true marketing genius comes from is the crazy things where you go, well, what if we could, and then let's figure out how we do it. So I always tell them, you know, we live in a world today where you can spin up let's use Google ads as an example. You can spin up Google ads in a matter of a few minutes and I can stop them in two seconds. There's very little you can do besides like posting something inappropriate on social media that can't be taken back and that you can't stop from a digital perspective. So you have a lot of flexibility to test out ideas, to come up with a concept, run with it and see if it works. And you know, part of marketing is failure. But I like to not think about it as failure. I like to think about it as like, it is continual learning. I learned this, instead of saying this failed, I learned this didn't work. Why didn't it work? What can we do to make it work? Is it just a bad idea? Is it, you know, the messaging was bad, the creative, the channel, the bidding strategy, like what was it that caused it not to work? Because there's a reason why you believed it would. So I always tell people, you know, 
to think about that way. That's hard though for a lot of team, a lot of teams to do, especially younger talent, because we're all raised in the society that says like failure is bad, right? Getting a bad grade on a test is not great, right? Like that's you have 12 plus years of that in schooling that's told you that you don't want to fail. When in reality, failure is how we learn. So I like to think of them as, you know, what are you doing to push us forward? What crazy idea do you have? What can we do that's different and st- like stands apart? How can we go faster? Perfection is not something that needs to exist in this world anymore because nothing will ever be perfect. Consumer behavior changes way too fast for that to happen. So let's get it out there. Let's see what works. Let's see what doesn't. And then let's make changes to it based on that data. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. You know all about this, Stephanie. You used to work there, so I don't need to tell you. But for our listeners, go check them out. Salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round question. Stephanie, are you ready? Yes, I think. Number one, who's your favorite West Wing character? Oh my gosh. Oh, so many. I love Martin Sheen. I love everything about him as a as a president. Um, I also love CJ Craig. She's probably when I watched the show way back when it first came out, um, she was really my inspiration for for a lot of things early on. What's the best thing to do in Indianapolis if you're there for one day? Oh, if you're there for one day, I would say normally, you know, pre-COVID, we have a really amazing food scene that a lot of people are super surprised by. We have a lot of fantastic local chefs. So I would likely go down to Mass Ave and just eat all day. Do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show or, or something that you've been uh, you've been especially uh, binging these days? Well, right now I'm binging West Wing again. I can never seem to get away from that. I do. I am a big binge watcher. I love to rewatch old shows, especially since I have kids and introduce them to the oldies, but I feel like the goodies. Also big obsessed with The Crown is another another big one of mine lately. Do you have a favorite marketing campaign that you've done over the years? Yes. Um, one of my favorite ones we ever did, it was actually back when I was at the Salesforce Marketing Cloud, is, and this was, gosh, 2013 or 14. So a while ago, um, we did this direct mail piece to CMOs at large enterprise brands. And we actually did it as a video. So we recorded a video from one of the senior leaders at the marketing cloud and sent it out to everyone. And when you opened it, it was a personalized video to you that played as soon as you opened the package. And seven years ago, that was like new. No one else was doing that. It was also super expensive at the time. I think we were paying like $60 per direct mail piece, um, which is crazy because right now, if you were to do the same concept, it's a lot cheaper. But it was our ability to deliver not just direct mail, but a highly personalized message like that was to you from a senior leader at the marketing cloud. So that was probably one of my favorite ones because it was so different. And um, we hadn't hadn't seen anyone do anything like that yet. Maybe your biggest uh, learning experience uh, from a marketing campaign? Oh, I don't know if we have enough time. Um, I've learned so many different things. I think one of my biggest ones was really around making sure I have managed lots of teams that have been overseeing paid ad budgets, really making sure that the person that is running your paid ads 
knows the difference between all the different platforms and what's a daily budget versus an overall budget. Let's just say that I've had a person before um, not understand that and set our daily budget to be our monthly budget. And we didn't realize it for a couple of days. <laughs> so that's great. That would be, I think, the, the best learning. Um, and so it's one thing I always tell people is here's the thing, you know, that's not something anyone should ever get fired over. It's an honest mistake, but it's something that will like haunt me to this day. Whenever I talk to anyone about ads, I'm like, okay, you know the difference, right? <laughs> Make sure you double check. That's pretty great. That is one of those. Well, I had my, my version of that was uh, I shot a video series one time and uh, it was this like super elaborate. It's actually a Dreamforce. And uh, we shot this super elaborate video series and um, it wasn't super elaborate. It was, it was pretty elaborate though. And uh, because we had to coordinate so many different parts to get everybody in one place and we did all this crazy stuff and the one thing I didn't do as the person running it was I didn't look in the camera. I just didn't look at the shot. And it's like so obvious, like, you, it's like, you know, of course it's the thing you do. And I didn't look at it. And the shot had a, had a uh, mic in the shot. And so we lost all the footage oh, no. for the campaign. It was absolutely brutal. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that's my version of looking the shot is, uh, is, is check the ad budget to make sure it's not, a, it's your uh, weekly, not your monthly or, or vice versa. What's your best piece of advice for a first time head of marketing? Don't do what everyone tells you to do, which is be there 90 days before you have a plan. You should be... Yes, you need to pay attention. Yes, you need to understand the business, but you can do all that within 30 days. The tenure of marketing leaders is so short these days. We're not given a ton of time to figure things out. You need to start making real progress within the first 30. I like that. Uh, what is one question that you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Oh, I love this question. I ask this on my show all the time too. So one question I'm not asked a ton about but I'd love to talk more openly about is I actually had a brain tumor about six and a half years ago. And a lot of people didn't know when it happened because when you tell people you have a brain tumor, they kind of look at you differently and they don't know what to say. And it's super awkward for like all people involved, but it's actually had a big impact on my life. Like I'm totally healthy now. Um, and thankfully it was benign and I didn't have cancer, but it, does take a while to recover for, from something like that. So I'd love for more people to feel like they could ask me about that, but also feel like they could share that if they're going through something similar, because I think there's this whole stigma around, you know, if something's happening tied to your brain, whether that's something medical or something where you're struggling with, you know, mental health issues like depression, as an example, I wish that more people could talk openly about that and feel like they could ask other people about it. Yeah, that's a great one. That's, I totally agree. I mean, I think that there's just so many things that we're all going through at any given time. And it's like, there's just so many stigmas around it. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, Stephanie, this has been awesome. For everybody uh, who love this conversation as much as we do, you have a podcast that everybody should check out, Real Marketers, hosted by Stephanie Cox. We'll link it up in the show notes. And, uh, and obviously, you know, for our marketing friends, check out Lumivate. Uh, just go to lumivate.com and we'll link that up as well. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, just thanks for having me on the show. It was great chatting with all of you. Hopefully it was helpful. Awesome. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. 
Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers, to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.